Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. I'm excited to do this Bible study with you today. Welcome everybody joining us. We are going to be learning about faith today. Hebrews 10 verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to go through the word of God today and learn about faith. and Hopefully it will grow in us and God will show us some new insights on it. We're going to start off in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter. It deals a lot with faith. But before we jump right into 11, we're going to start in chapter 10 and verse 35. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And the righteous ones will live by faith. But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. For we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So there is definitely a difference between those who believe and those who do not believe. Before we get into the faith chapter, I'm going to go back to the beginning of time, back to the Garden of Eden. So turn with me to Genesis. In Genesis, God creates the entire world and everything in it, and then he creates man and woman and places them in the Garden of Eden. And that's where we're going to pick it up here in chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of the tree of the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. But it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and the fruit looked delicious, and so she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame in their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So immediately, their eyes were open. And if you pay attention here, it says that the serpent came to her 
and told her, you won't die. And right before she ate it or even touched it, she would die. So she knew what God's word said, but the serpent told her something other than what God had told her. And it says she was convinced. So she believed what the devil told her. And because of that, she ate the fruit and they sinned and they fell and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So we see here how important believing can be. But if she wouldn't have believed what the devil told her and believed God's word instead, then mankind would still be in paradise today. So that's why it's so important that we believe God. And it also shows us the importance and the power of faith. So let's get back to Hebrews 11 and find out what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 starting at verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And in the New Living Translation, it says faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the insurance about the things we cannot see. So faith is not hope, but faith is actually believing and accepting it as being fact. So continuing in verse 2, Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything we cannot see. So in the beginning, we have faith that God created the entire universe and God did so by speaking it into existence. So it was even faith that caused God to create the entire universe. Continuing in verse 4, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. When Cain and Abel in Genesis were cast out of the garden, they both brought sacrifices to God. Cain brought the first of his fruit and Abel brought blood and God accepted Abel's offering because it was through faith Abel knew that blood would be the only thing that would atone for sin and the only way that we would ever receive mercy and this faith still speaks to us today because Christ is a representation of that sacrifice of blood to atone for mercy in our lives but let's continue in verse 5. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, 
Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And again here, we have an example of how faith changes everything. If Noah would have simply not believed God's word, then he would have never built an ark and mankind would have ended there. So it was important that he believe and have faith in God or he would have never built the boat and he would have never saved the rest of mankind. Let's continue in verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So Abraham was looking forward to the future. Starting again in verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And then King James, it says she counted him as faithful. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they had came for, they could go back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he promised a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac was the son through whom his descendants would be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was an old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying a fleeting pleasure of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover, 
and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that Israel went through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take a long time to recount all the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their wickedness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, and others were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing the skin of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, holding in caves and holes in the ground, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. We're going to continue right into chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with the endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So faith comes from Jesus, and he actually makes it perfect. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in struggle against sin. So as long as we're still alive and sin hasn't taken us out, we should still have faith. In verse 40 there, it said God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And then, of course, right there in the beginning of chapter 12, it says that Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Since Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and I guess we should read a little bit about him. So let's take a look at that in the New Testament. Now we're going to start reading in John. I'm, just, I'm going to read from chapter 3, but I'm going to start a couple verses before. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind was really like. So here it says that Jesus 
finds out that many people are starting to believe in him because of what he's doing. So God knew exactly what people were like. That's why God knew if he did miraculous signs, people would believe in him. That's why God did miraculous signs back then, and that's why God still does miraculous signs today. But let's continue in chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Ex exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter into the kingdom of heaven without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on the fact God's light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness more than the light. Their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing is what God wants. Wow. So anybody who believes doesn't have to worry about judgment anymore. Because God came into the world to save people, not to judge them. That's powerful. And if we don't believe in that, sometimes we find ourselves falling into judgment instead of falling into the salvation that God has for us. But anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be saved and have eternal life. So now let's move to another scripture in Matthew chapter 8. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and tell him to examine you. 
Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go and come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who followed him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and the west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened. And a young servant was healed the same hour. So there, Jesus says he's never seen faith like this before. The Roman officer understood authority and understood that there was a connection between God's authority and the healing power. So when Christ spoke with authority, he showed the people around him that the evil spirits that cause sickness and disease also have to listen to the creator of the world. And with mercy and grace come healing and redemption. But in both situations, they were healed because of their faith. The leper told them in the beginning, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. So he knew that Jesus could heal him. He was just wondering whether or not God cared enough about him. Nowadays, a believer, we shouldn't have to worry about whether or not God wants to heal us. We are his children. Anybody who has children or has parents, so that's everyone, knows that a parent will do anything for their child if they're a godly parent and they've got good in them, let alone our heavenly father who is everything good. So once a believer understands that God is willing to heal us and God is willing to, to give us all of the desires of our heart, it's easy for us to believe that God can also keep us healthy and heal our bodies when we become sick. And it's to the point where we should be like the Roman officers where I don't need God himself to come down here and heal me, but I need his authority to go forward. And that can go forward in other believers who are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. So let's keep reading here. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her, and she got up and prepared a meal for him. All it took was Jesus touching her. Jesus can't touch anybody and them not get better. I don't care if you're on drugs, if you're an alcoholic, and I've and, and I've seen all this. I've seen drug addicts, alcoholics. I've, I've had experienced it in my life, where anytime you put Jesus in it, it gets better. Nobody is going to experience Christ and walk away the same. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and he cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. So demon spirits and sick seem to be linked right there in that verse. 
This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah who said, He took our sicknesses and removed all our diseases. And that's something to put our faith in. In a world today where the medical field is prospering, we need Christians who believe that God takes our sickness and removes our diseases. And now let's flip over to Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He heard the news of John the Baptist being beheaded. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowds as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So here's Jesus in a point of hurting, where John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And Jesus already said that he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. So you could, you could imagine him being in a place of mourning, but he still has compassion on the people around him. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food for themselves. And Jesus said, It isn't necessary. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fishes, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the pieces to the disciples who distributed to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up twelve baskets of leftovers. There was about five thousand men who were fed that day, in addition to the women and children. So here we go, where not only does God take care of people's diseases and sicknesses, but he performs a miraculous sign to feed his people. We should have faith when we hear, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or its seed begging for bread. Jesus in a time of mourning and hurt still took time to feed his people. That's how much God loves us. When we believe in Christ and we put our faith in him, we will never go hungry, spiritually or physically. Continuing in verse 22, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up on the hill by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting against the waves. About three in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, for I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Look, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped 
and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. When Mark tells his version of this story, he says, Even the winds and the waves obey him. After they had crossed the lake and landed at Gesera, when the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Anything that Jesus touches will never be the same. Now let's read about Jesus touching a Gentile woman's life. When Jesus left Galilee, he went north to a region of Tyre and Sidon. I am reading in chapter 15, it's the next chapter over. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed by a demon, and it torments her severely. And Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great, your request is granted, and your daughter is instantly healed. So this is a woman that God wasn't even sent to help at this point in time. He was sent to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. She belonged to another group of people who had their own gods. Jesus was the God of Abraham, and she wasn't a descendant of Abraham. But because she had such faith in God, he healed her anyways. So that shows you that even somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus yet, if they have faith that they can be healed, they will be healed and they'll never look at Jesus the same again. But let's keep reading here. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, and those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well, and the lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. There is nothing too big for our God. It doesn't matter blind, deaf, that no matter what disease they had, he healed it. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. So this is another place where they haven't eaten. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will go faint as they go along the way. The disciples replied, Where would we get enough food in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? And Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? And they replied, so this is even after he already fed the first crowd, seven loaves and a few small fish. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, thank God for them again, 
and broke them into pieces, and he gave them to his disciples, who distributed them to the crowd. Once again, he did it the same way he did it the last time, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large basketfuls of leftovers. Wow. So they ate as much as they wanted and still have leftovers. That's what we believers can have faith in. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home and he got into the boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. So once again here, God cares for our everyday needs. But in light of what we just read, I'm going to flip back real quick to Matthew 13 and show you what happened when Jesus went to his hometown. Starting in verse 53, when Jesus was finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left the part of the country and returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogues, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Wow, so they refused to believe in him, and because of that, he could only do a few small miracles. So the only thing that stops Jesus and the miraculous power of the Holy Ghost is unbelief. So as important as faith is in our walk with God, it's just as important not to refuse to obey Jesus and have faith in him. And not just, oh, well, I, I'll have faith that he can forgive my sins, but I won't have faith that he can actually feed me when I'm hungry or heal me when I'm sick or raise me when I'm dead. But we're supposed to have faith in everything that Jesus Christ represents in this Bible. So now let's go over to Mark chapter 11. We're going to jump around a little bit here, but we're going to start at verse 12 through 14 and I'm going to pick it up in 19 and read through 25. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if it had any figs on it. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now we'll skip down to 19. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you will receive it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, 
first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So here again, he talks about doubt, not having doubt in your heart. And he also talks about cursing the things that we don't like on earth. And he says, if we believe, we'll have the same power and we can speak to the mountain to be moved and it will happen. Not I'll speak to God and have him move the mountain, but I'll speak to the mountain. If I'm, ha if I'm battling sickness, I'm going to speak to the sickness and curse it out of my life in Jesus name because of this scripture here in Mark chapter 11. I can put my faith in the word of God and curse the things in my life that are not fruitful and helping me prosper. We are God's people called to act just like Christ. Let's look at that in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out every evil spirit and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Every kind. Not just one or two. Not just the kinds from his day. The same kind that we're facing today. Every kind of disease and illness. He, then it lists the 12 disciples. And Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure them of leprosy, cast out demons, give freely as you have received. Wow, he didn't just tell them to cure the cold or the common flu. He said, raise the dead and heal leprosy. I don't understand how a believer can read this in his Bible and think that God can't knock the sniffles out of you. If God can heal leprosy and raise the dead, then nothing's too big for my God. And he put this power in his disciples and sent them out. And this was before he filled them with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I'm going to flip over to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippia, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But he asked them, But who do you say I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I shall build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So anything that we believers as the church of God allow will be allowed. If we allow sickness in our life, then it will be there. But if we 
curse sickness and forbid it from being in our life. We can have faith in that because right here in my Bible, Jesus said so. The only thing that really matters is that we believe it, that we put our faith in it. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 9. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding him, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all the arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently on the ground. So he had seizures. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast the evil spirit out, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell on the ground, raving and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers were growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out and never enter him again. So here again, Jesus speaks to the spirit, to the mountain. When the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him, the boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked, Why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. So it is important for us to be in prayer and fasting. But the initial reason why Jesus said that they were having problems was because of their unbelief. He said, how long must I put up with you? Why are you so full of doubt? And then he tells them in the end to get rid of that doubt and that unbelief. We need to be in prayer and fasting. So if you're having a trouble believing and putting your faith in Christ, then you should practice fasting and praying. Spend time with God and not eating. But you don't have to take my word for it. We can take Jesus' words for it. <laughs> so let's go to Luke 17. And we'll start in verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. So we got one thing out of Jesus right there, prayer and fasting. What else can we do? And the Lord answered, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, 
you could say to this tree, may be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing and taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he is told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. So we see here that he compares faith to a seed, which means it can grow. But he also compares it to a tiny seed and says that we only need a tiny little seed to move and uproot a tree and throw it into the ocean. But then he says, he, he also follows it up with a story about the servants. So he shows us that when we're doing God's work, we're not to revel in the glory of it. Let God revel in the glory of it and let us just keep going in the work. It's God who gets the glory for all of the miracles from our faith. And it's our duty to do what the Holy Spirit instructs us to do. But to go back to the seed reference, how do we grow our faith? If Jesus correlates it to a seed, we should think about our faith in the seed. So I was praying about it one day and the Holy Ghost was moving in me. And it was showing me how our faith grows like a seed in a garden. And everything that grows needs two things to grow. It's got to be planted in a good soil, which is our heart. It should be open to what God has for our life. But it also needs light. It needs to be in God's presence. The more we're in God's presence, the more our faith can prosper and grow and be fruitful. The other thing that it requires is water. In the Bible, Jesus said that he is the living water, and he's also called the Word. And we heard in the beginning of this that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we water our seeds so that they'll grow. When we water it with the Word, we're giving our seeds something good to nourish it. But when we speak our words against the seed of faith, we choke our faith out. That's why it's so important, the power we use in our tongue, that we use it in the right way. We can't say, I believe Jesus can heal me and then go to work and tell everybody about how sick I am. That is not watering that seed in the right way. What we should do is we should read our Bible when we feel sick and tell everybody about how Jesus can heal them because that word is what's going to water that seed and cause that faith to grow. So now let's go to John chapter 11 where we'll hear about Jesus raising the dead. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This was the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped it with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, 
He stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, Only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, There are twelve hours of daylight every day. During the day people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world. But at night there is danger of stumbling because there is no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus was dead. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. So Thomas was always having a little trouble there. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary for their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to the Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises in the last days. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people... When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw others wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed blind men. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus commanded them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been in there for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up into the heavens and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. 
but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so they would believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a handkerchief. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So if you have problems telling people that Jesus can heal them when they're sick, imagine telling people that Jesus can raise their dead loved ones who have just died. Because right here in my Bible, it says it is possible with God. Having faith in some of the small things now shouldn't be so hard. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're doing every time we tell someone to believe in Jesus for salvation. We're actually raising them from the dead. And this is the same power that Jesus put in us as believers. Let's look in chapter 14, starting in verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Sounds like Jesus is getting a little upset there. <laughs> Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you see me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Christ has to tell us twice there because even after he just told us you can ask for anything, he knew that some of them still weren't going to believe. So he said it again. Yes, you can ask for anything. We continue in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world could not receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. So you're speaking about the Holy Ghost, which was to come and empower us, which you can read about all through the book of Acts. So we have Thomas thinking that they're going to die when they raise Lazarus, and we have Philip not knowing who the Father even is, and then here, after Jesus dies, we're going to read a little bit more about Thomas in chapter 20 of John, starting verse 24. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin again, was not with the others when Jesus came. So they told him, we've seen the Lord. 
But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, and suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that's talking about us today. We can believe not because we see him, but because we've read this word and we put our faith in it. We'll be able to see the same miraculous signs that Thomas got to see. It's important for us to believe. We're supposed to be the church. Just like you read, we're supposed to go and do greater things than I've been reading about here. We're supposed to believe that we have the power of Jesus living inside of us to do that. And when we believe it, we can go out and we can heal the sick and reach the lost. And we can show this world that Jesus Christ is true and that salvation comes only through him. So let's, let's read how Jesus linked these two together in Matthew chapter 9. Starting right at verse 1, Jesus climbed into the boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowds and they, as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. So Christ shows that he has the authority to forgive sins, but he also shows that it all works in the line of authority. And just like the Roman officer who understood authority and that Christ didn't even have to go there, he could just speak his word and it would happen. He also sent out his disciples in his authority and today, we're still under his authority, filled with the Holy Ghost, to do these miraculous things in people's lives, to win them to the lost, so that they can believe that Jesus can forgive them for their sins. We can turn their faith on by doing the miraculous things that God has empowered us to do. And it all comes from believing. In Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new, the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne. You who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up house 
or brothers or sister or father or mother or child or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are greatest now will be least important then. And those who have seem important now will be the greatest then. So here's where we get as hundred times as much. The Bible tells us that anything that we give up for Christ and anything that we go through for him will be paid back a hundred times more. Now let's go to 1 John chapter 5. It says, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So be careful when you talk about other children of God. Because he loves them. (laughs) We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ has revealed as God's Son by His baptism in water and by the shedding of His blood on the cross, not the water only, but the water and the blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with its testimony so we have these three witnesses the spirit the water and the blood and they all three agree since we believe human testimony surely we can believe a greater testimony that comes from god and god has testified about his son all who believe in the son of god know in their hearts that this testimony is true those who don't believe they are actually calling god a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have God's son does not have life. So today I'd like to take this time, if you're listening to this, and you are starting to believe, but you've never asked Christ to come into your heart as your savior, I'm going to give you this time to pray with me from your heart and make a confession that Jesus Christ is your new Lord and Savior. So bow your heads and close your eyes and repeat these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today, God, as a sinner, Lord, humbled by my sin in my life, God. I see that I've done wrong, God, and that I cannot have eternal life without you, Lord. I ask, Father, that you will receive me as your son, God. Send me your Holy Son to to live inside me, Lord, that I will be a new creature in you, God, and that you will help me every day become the child that you would have me be, Lord. I've professed with my mouth today, God, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he lives inside of me. I worship you and praise you, God, for everything that you've done, God. Help our faith to grow, God. Everybody who's listening to this, God, who has accepted you, God, that you will put something inside them today that grows their faith to an abundant amount, God. That they will look at other people's faith 
like a garden and examine it to how they can produce the same faith in their life, God. I worship you and praise you today, Jesus, and in your sweet name, amen, in Jesus' name. Well, thanks everybody for joining me today. I hope that this has boosted your faith because we fight the good fight of faith. So stay strong in your faith and in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Bye-bye.